I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you might prove what is the good, the well-pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Uh, as we uh, approach our study of the Word of God this evening in Zechariah, Zechariah 8, let's take a few seconds for spiritual preparation, closing our eyes, bowing our heads, confession of sins, and then I'll open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the remarkable gift of not only your Son, who is our Savior, his sacrificial and substitutionary work on the cross, but also, Father, for the mind of Christ that we have here in the Word of God. Um, There are many passages in the Word of God that may seem to be Uh, either difficult to understand or maybe apply uh, rather distantly, if at all, to us. But we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and therefore it is uh, valuable to us for correction, for instruction. And we pray, Father, that uh, as we study the Word of God, uh, we would understand Uh, the importance that it has, uh, even if it's teaching us about uh, the nation of Israel. And we see your character as you deal with them, as you administer them. We're thankful, Father, that we can see them as our measuring stick for uh, human history. We're thankful that we are in this uh, timetable, even though There is no length of time that's been established for the church. We know, Father, that we uh, have been inserted for a specific purpose and plan and design. We are thankful, Father, for your comforting and consoling hand for those who have lost loved ones. We think particularly and specifically tonight for Pat Robinson, uh, as Neil has, uh, is now absent from the, the body and face-to-face with his Savior in heaven. We pray for Pat that she would be uh, comforted by this and also comforted in, in the loss of her mother, Ann Mosley, who has just recently died as well. We pray, Father, that uh, she would have friends around her uh, either those that she has known for many years or those that they have recently made uh, where they now live that would be able to assist her in anything that she might need. We also pray, Father, for those who uh, have lost loved ones in the recent Islamic jihadist terrorist acts. We pray, Father, that there would be uh, uh, comfort from those who are believers, those who can provide it, Uh, from a standpoint of truth 
uh, from the Word of God. We also pray for the leadership in these nations as well as here in the United States that we would have objectivity instead of subjectivity, that we would have an understanding of just precisely uh, what's happening in Satan's world and how even he uh, has not been able to control uh, evil elements that are simply out of control because of their sin natures. We pray, Father, for um, uh, the success of our our leaders, therefore, in protecting us and also protecting uh, American citizens abroad. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, you know, it's uh, last week, I think I began uh, the lesson by reading that article about the um, student, the scholar, who um, saw himself as an interspecies uh, tranimal, um, uh, a hippopotamus and not really even a real hippopotamus but a uh, stuffed one um, and I mentioned that of course this is a, uh, a revelation of where we are in society particularly in our academic circles um, and uh, probably also in entertainment circles uh, and, and even uh, our, our politics but it's it's coming uh, because we we lack the solid understanding from the Word of God in many of our churches, and it's important for us to continue to teach and um, cleanse our souls, transform our thinking. That's why I quoted Romans 12:1 and 2: is that there there must be a transformation of our thinking as we study the Word of God, uh, realizing that. Uh, God is a righteous God, a God that has not only established uh, requirements and um, uh, we could say uh, institutions for um, for the human race, but that He enforces them, and there are nations that. Um, have wandered from these institutions and have passed from human history, passed from the uh, national landscape. Um, we must remember that uh, if we are not careful, we will find ourselves in the same situation. And I think one of the things that uh, occurs to me as we observe what's happening around the world and periodically here in the United States uh, we have uh, these Islamic jihadists who are uh, uh, indiscriminately slaughtering people. And we've seen it now twice in London. We see it in Paris to the point that uh, we have the, um, it was either the mayor or the prime minister of London saying, uh, don't be disturbed by the significant presence of police and even the military. Well, why are they there? If we shouldn't be disturbed, why are they there? It's because uh, we're unable to control the threat because of our uh, not only ignorant policies, 
but harmful policies that are being pursued. Uh, when you invite in people who come from nations that are sworn enemies of the West, then what would you expect, even if not all of them are committed uh, to violence? Um, in, in London now, we understand that there have been 12 people arrested, and seven of them are women. Well, I don't know that those seven were necessarily committed to violence, but they were colluding with those who were committing violence. And if you have just a few people who are committed to violence, but they are swimming in a society that is going to support or conceal them, then you need to remove that element of the society. I, I don't think this is all that difficult to understand. Uh, there was a young, a young lady from British Columbia. Her name was uh, Christine Archibald, who had gone to London to see her fiancé. And she was run down by uh, this truck on the London Bridge. And she dies in the arms of her, uh, her fiancé. Well, her parents at home now uh, have that memory of her daughter, of their daughter being slaughtered. Why? What had she done? She's just walking across a bridge. And uh, some um, malicious and murderous sort just decides to drive a truck into a crowded street killing as many as they can, and then, of course, jumping out and stabbing people with knives. Uh, it's, it's understandable, maybe from a standpoint, if they were in the middle of a war zone, but that, this is not the case. Uh, they're bringing violence and terrorism to uh, people who, ex who expect to be able to at least uh, live uh, peaceful lives. Uh, the same thing for the bombing at the uh, concert. Uh, a woman just the other day has regained consciousness, and the first thing that she is told when she regains consciousness is that the daughter that she had with her was slaughtered in the same bombing. And what are we told by our leaders? Well, this is the new normal. Really? This is the new normal? This is what we're to expect, to hear that our children have been slaughtered by people who don't like us, that uh, we are in so much in danger that we have to have a heavy concentration of police and in France, military, military surrounding the Eiffel Tower and other places. This is the new normal. Why, why must we accept the failed policies of those who lead us as the new normal? Why don't we remove them from office and find policies that work? I think this is the insanity of, uh, of reprobation. 
people who have a reprobate mind come to these conclusions that, well, political correctness is more important than innocent life. Oh, where do you find that? I mean, it's just very frustrating, very frustrating to think that we can no longer have policies that prevent indiscriminate slaughter of innocents. But when you when you ignore the truth, reject the truth, you will accept anything. And that's what we have today. And it's occurring in politics. We believe that uh, policies and concepts that are truly evil are what we should be pursuing. And uh, it should not be the new normal. Uh, we have a historical past of what works. And we should return to that. And that includes the rule of law. And I'm afraid we've lost our, we've lost our way. We are in Zechariah. And uh, Zechariah 8, we are studying the um, center portion here between uh, the first six verses, first six chapters, and the final um, chapters of Zechariah. And it has to do with a uh, three, excuse me, four messages. And we've seen these messages. And the four messages being explained, here we are um, in these four messages. The message of rebuke, which we saw in Zechariah 7, 4 through 7. And the rebuke was because we have a uh, an element of the, of the Jewish community who are committing themselves to fasting and prayer, but they're doing it in a very hypocritical way. And they asked the question of Zechariah if they are now going to be able to finish or stop uh, the fasting and the prayer uh, because either, number one, the uh, temple is now being built or uh, should, we, should we stop? There's another thought there. Uh, should we now no longer be uh, fasting because uh, it doesn't appear to be working if we're fasting and praying for the Lord to restore the nation and to restore prosperity while we're doing our part what is the Lord doing and the answer is uh, you are not doing this in a, a sincere legitimate way instead you think the Lord is just going to be impressed by what you're doing then we see the message of repentance in uh, Zechariah 7, 9 through 14. And in that, we see that Zechariah tells them exactly what they should be doing, how they should be living their lives. And it follows along the same uh, path that um, Samuel was telling Saul. And that was that the Lord uh, desires obedience more so than ritual. Obedience, not just going through the motions and of course this is true today as well the Lord doesn't want us to just come to church or 
just go through certain rituals such as communion or maybe baptism, uh, but it's supposed to be meaningful. Baptism teaching us, reinforcing the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, understanding that uh, we are dead to our sins and that we are raised to a, a new life, a life that is uh, inspired and uh, empowered by God the Holy Spirit so that we can live for Christ, uh, trying to um, reflect the image of the Lord Jesus Christ in us. Uh, the third message here, the message of restoration, that's where we are in Zechariah 8, 1 through 17. And there's just a lot here in this passage. Some of it is prophetic, meaning it's eschatological, and some of it is historical, and it's important for us to be able to see the difference there. And sometimes that's difficult. Isaiah is a particularly tri uh, difficult book to sometimes distinguish between uh, wh wh when Isaiah is referring to an eschatological and end time truth and when it is historical and something that was about to happen to Israel and we know that um, 586 occurred sometime after Isaiah's book was written and so we have both of those but as we are in chapter 8 here verse 1 it says and again the word of the Lord the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. And I said that we have the Lord of hosts used 18 times in this verse. And it's because Zechariah wants us to know that God is involved in his, uh, his word, his prophecy, and with his nation. And what I'm going to emphasize tonight also is that God is not just involved with Israel. God's involved with his people and while we are not Israel we are children of God and he's involved in our lives and we need to realize that we're not just swimming in the melhu of the human race and uh, what will be will be no it's what is uh, what happens with our lives according to what God uh, designs and we're going to see that. He, that comes out very clearly as we pro progress. But the Lord of hosts is the one who is uh, transmitting this message to Zechariah, and Zechariah is repeating it. He said, I'm a, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal, with great fervor. I am zealous for her. If he is zealous for Zion, which he is, he's also zealous for us. And God desires for us to be obedient because he desires to be able to bless us. And we just walk in the doors and off cliffs and stumble around because we just fail to be obedient. Uh, but God is zealous for us as he is for Zion. This happens to be for Israel. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion. This is a millennial uh, prophecy. Uh, the Lord is not going to return immediately. Uh, he would have had Israel truly return to obedience, but we're going to see they don't. Instead, this is going to be the last times, and it's going to be the millennial kingdom. I will return to Zion, to Jerusalem, to Judah, to Israel, and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth. Why? Because... The Lord will be there. That's why it's the city of truth. 
the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the mountain, the holy mountain. It will be holy, it will be set apart for a specific purpose because the Lord is there. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall sit in the streets of Jerusalem. And this is a figure of speech. It's a way of saying that they will live to a very old age. Um, They will have the opportunity to live in a millennial kingdom that's a thousand years old that will extend for a thousand years, each one with his staff in his hand. And again, this is a figure of speech that tells us that they have lived a long life and the staff in their hands is an indication of that long life. Because of great age, the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. In other words, what we see here is this joyful occasion. I have to tell you that uh, I have a... a a fuller understanding of that phrase streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets because uh, Play Roma Bible Church has uh, many children they have somewhere probably in the vicinity of about 30 children it's unbelievable the children that are run around that that church and uh, it's because they have families that have um, many children and uh a lot of them come from one family. The Northcott family uh, has four children, two girls and two boys. Uh, they're all married, and they all attend that church. It's kind of interesting. Uh, Craig and Tommy are Northcotts, and uh, they are members of the deacon board that serve. And the uh, two daughters have married uh, individuals that also attend the church. And um, there's, there's just, uh, well... I thought I could remember a lot of names, but uh, I fell short with about after I got up to about 25 and just decided to give it up. But there are children everywhere, and th- this is a sign of prosperity, peace, and blessing. Children are a blessing. Thus says the Lord of hosts, it, if it is marvelous, and I remember I gave you a better translation, if it's difficult is a better word because something that is miraculous is considered difficult because it takes a miraculous act for it to occur. Uh, If it is difficult in the eyes of the remnant, those who had returned, the remnant that came back from Babylon, it's difficult for them to even imagine Jerusalem being being restored to its previous glory that had been there because of Solomon and all of the wonderful building and then those that had helped restore it. So if it's difficult in the eyes of the remnant of this people, in these days, historical here, will it also be difficult in my eyes? No, it won't, because the Lord is capable of miraculous things, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, and now we're going to enter into eschatological time again, just saw it here uh, sort of a blend of it there but now we're coming to the end of the tribulation behold I will deliver my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west I will bring them back and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem this is a wonderful commentary of the Lord bringing the Jews back to the land and the Jews have come back to the land individually Um, sometimes as families, but this isn't the Lord bringing them back. There are still 
at least about 50% of uh, all the Jews on the earth living outside the land. So this has not occurred yet. This is still in the future. It says, they shall be my people and I will be their God in truth. Uh, Amen here is truth. Faithfulness is another word. And righteousness. Therefore, we know that this is in the millennium. This is eschatological. That is going to occur sometime in the future when uh, Israel is truly going to be my people. They are not, they are still God's people, but they are not in the covenantal relationship that is being described here. And I will be their God. Well, he's not their God. They are, uh, they recognize uh, God, but they don't recognize God as having sent his son, the Messiah, to be the Savior and to be their Messiah. And that helps us with that second part in truth and, and righteousness. They are not faithful. They, they did not accept his son. Nine, thus says the Lord of hosts. So here we have um, an exhortation as we begin nine for the Jews, the remnant that is in the land at that time. In 520 B.C. is where we find ourselves. Let your hands be strong. In other words, this is a figure of speech to be encouraged. Trust the Lord. Uh, be obedient. Restore the temple. Restore the uh, the Levitical uh, offerings and uh, feasts. Let your hands be strong. Be encouraged. You have been hearing. Uh, you who have been hearing in these days, the words by the mouth of the prophets, who spoke in the day the fountain was la- the foundation was laid. Well, this is Haggai for the most part, but also Zechariah speaking to them. For the house of the Lord of hosts, that the temple might be built. So, build the temple, Haggai told them. And they have, they have begun to do this again. Verse 10. For before these days, there were no wages for man, nor any hire for beasts. That's the first thing there was not. Secondly, there was no peace from distress. I think a better word there is from the distress for whoever went out or in. For I set all men, every one against his neighbor. I pitted them against them. I sent them out. So there was uh, no peace. There was constant distress. There was no unity within the nation. There was no harmony. And there was also this uh, uh, competition and even hostility uh, amongst each other. Verse 11. Now, I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days. And again, this remnant is the Babylonian exiles who have returned. I'm not going to treat you in the same way that has been occurring over the past couple of years. There's there's the opportunity for a change here. It says, I will now not treat the remnant, the exiles of this people, as in the former days. And I think the former days here is a reference to those days just prior to the destruction of Jerusalem, says the Lord of hosts. For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give its fruit. We actually have six here. If the Jews would return uh, to the land and be obedient, then the seed would be prosperous. 
prosperous. The vine shall give its fruit. The ground shall give her increase. And the heavens shall give their due. I, and that's spelled D-E-W. Uh, I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these. And it shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will deliver you and you shall be a blessing. Uh, therefore, those those events, as we follow our follow right down, the vine shall give a fruit, that's first. Second, or excuse me, the seed shall be prosper, the vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give her increase, the heavens shall give their due. Uh, five, I will cause the remnant of the people uh, to be a... Uh, to be delivered, and also they will be a blessing. And then he says, do not fear. Uh, Israel, these promises and uh, uh, protection that the Lord is giving them should cause them not to be afraid, but let your hands be strong, but to be encouraged. They should trust the Lord for what they're doing. And now... We, I think the last time we stopped here at 14, so we're going to press on verse 14. For thus says the Lord of hosts, and what we're going to see here is what's happening currently in Israel. What is happening at that particular time as Zechariah is talking to them? Verse 14 through 17 says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath says the Lord of hosts and I would not relent so again in these days and I think this is a reference to the days of Haggai and Zechariah I am determined to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah and then he says again do not fear be encouraged verse 16 these are the things you shall do Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. 17. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. And do not love a false oath. For all these things that I hate, says the Lord. In other words, these are the things that I do not love, but I hate. And we'll, we'll address that. Uh, what we see here is the Lord addressing Israel, but as he does that, he's actually telling us that these are his righteous standards, and this, this is what he desires of us as well. Um, in, verse, in verse 14, this is what we see. Zechariah 8.14 First of all, Israel was disobedient and unfaithful for so long that even the patience and the mercy of the Lord were exhausted. And that's what we see at the beginning of verse 14. For thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I deemed to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath. Well, why had they provoked them to wrath? It was because of their disobedience. And the Lord really is gracious. And as we studied through uh, first and second kings and tacking on first and second chronicles it was evidence that there was uh, a lot of patience on the part of the Lord but there finally came a time when the Lord removed them because his patience was exhausted uh, 
When we say exhausted, we mean that Israel had just simply gone too far. They had continued to be disobedient even after prophets had come to them. Uh, We had uh, Elijah and Elisha to the northern kingdom, and we have prophets like uh, Isaiah uh, and Jeremiah to the southern kingdom. Uh, We mean that Israel just gone too far. God's patience is perfect. Uh, He never gives in too soon. So God is persistent. But when it is evident that Israel is not going to respond to God's mercy, then God acts. But what do we learn by his mercy? And what do we learn by the length of time that he allows the disobedience and unfaithfulness to go on it's that God is patient God is loving God doesn't just um, at the drop of a hat to use a figure of speech just uh, punish the nation but he is long suffering Uh, it only took uh, but Israel took advantage of God's mercy three Israel in our passage now is being exhorted by Haggai and they're going to rebuild the temple but what we're going to see is that they're really not going to return to faithfulness because they never quite um, uh, develop the obedience that they're supposed to have Uh, Israel is not going to return completely to faithfulness fourth God's righteousness, his perfect righteousness and perfect justice determined that punishment was required. When we see that it says here that I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, well, God is not really provocable in the strictest sense of the word. It's a figure of speech that tells us that God has come to the conclusion from his righteousness and justice as um, we could say uh, delayed by his love and his grace has come to the conclusion that punishment was required and that's what we see here Uh, fourth or fifth uh, God's will and purpose has no aspect of vacillation or changing of the mind so God doesn't change his mind but what he is able to do is he is able to incorporate the uh, the volition of mankind of of humans and he works with that until he comes to a time it says that uh, thus says the lord and i would not relent well the lord here that's very often changed as rep- uh, translated it's nacham the hebrew word nacham and it's translated as repenting uh, relenting, uh, or a better word here, or, or maybe not a better word, is changing of the mind. God doesn't change his mind. He simply is continuing through human history, but he uses different administration of action. And that's what we see here. Um, there's no in- indication here of vacillation or changing of the mind. Six, God's will is expressed in language of human accommodation. That's what we have here. So when we think that God is somehow vacillating 
or he changed his mind, or he was surprised. And every now and then you'll run into somebody that says that God really doesn't know the future, that he really is just incredibly intelligent, and he can kind of figure it out from what he observes. Well, that is just absolutely contrary to what we read in Scripture. Um, And we've studied this many times, but it's amazing how many times that it does come up in Scripture. Uh, The language of human accommodation helps us to understand God's provision. Seven, God's perfect righteousness determined that Israel's conduct required punishment. That's what we understand here. And then eight, God's perfect justice administrated administered the required action, which was punishment. And that's what uh, Zechariah 8.14 is telling us here. That's what happened to those Jews who were disobedient. Now, as we move to verse 15, so again, in these days, he says, I'm determined to, good, to do good. And these are days of Zechariah and, Hag- and Zechariah, Haggai and Zechariah. In other words, what he's saying is, all right, I've administered the discipline. Now I'm ready to administer the blessing in these days. But we, what's the catch? The catch here is if you're obedient. And this is true in our lives as well. And that's what I think we need to see here. We see the character of God. character of God is ready to bless for those who are obedient, those who are faithful. Zechariah 8.15 uh, So again in these days I am determined to do good to Israel and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. Be encouraged. Um, remnant of Jews who have returned from Babylon. The Jews were returning to the, the Jews were returning to building the temple an indication here of obedience. They had responded to Haggai. And point one here, they are returning to building. And one of the reasons for it is because you may remember in Haggai, they were really having a difficult time with the economy, with the the agricultural output. They were struggling. And so they realized that they had to Uh, return to faithfulness. Secondly here, in verse 15, we see that just as God's perfect character determined punishment, so now it's determined blessing. He is ready to bless. Um, One of the interesting parts of the translation here, in verse 15, in my New King James Version, it says, so again in these days. And the word therefore again is our Hebrew word shuv, which means to return, turn or to return. And the Lord is ready to return to blessing Israel if they are going to be obedient. Point three, God's perfect righteousness ensures that he keeps his promises, both the discipline and the blessing. We can we can count Uh, and depend on God's perfect character. Uh, He is immutable. He's unchanging. He can't vacillate from uh, his righteousness and justice. His uh, love and his grace can delay it for a while, but uh, 
the discipline will come. And when we're obedient, when we're faithful, uh, he will bless us. God was not absent here in Israel's life. And that's one of the things that they believed. They looked around and said, where is God? We have been fasting and praying. And where is God? Where is the prosperity? Well, God's here. God just knows that you are truly not faithful. You're truly not devoted to him. So God was not absent in Israel's life. God has a plan and a promise to Israel. And daily, he is working in their history. God is ready to move forward in the history of Israel. He has a plan. And you may remember Lord Jesus Christ when he was asked, Uh, on earth before he ascended Lord is it now that you are going to bring in your kingdom and the Lord says it's not for you to know the time nor the uh, epics the time or the era when that's going to occur Uh, and he also said that that's left to the father the father is the one that has the design and the Lord Jesus Christ ascended his session means to sit at the right hand of God the father And we are waiting for the Father to institute, we could say, the Lord's return at the rapture. And we're waiting. So we know that God is still involved in the history of Israel, and therefore he's involved in our history. God keeps his promises, and he made a boatload of them to Israel, and they're going to be uh, completed someday in the future. Why? Because he loves them. And if God is committed to Israel because he loves them, he is also committed to us. We are indwelt by all three members of the Godhead. God loves us and wants to provide for us. For neither Israel nor we are adrift in the ocean of human history. And every time we, every now and then we think we are. The remnant thought they were. We are not. God is taking care of us. We are not adrift in the ocean of human history, but as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are loved and we are provisioned by God. God's taking care of us. God is blessing us. Um, I I have no idea on a daily basis how often uh, either angels or some other mechanism is uh, active in our lives that cause certain things to happen. And I think that very often when we stand back and look at certain events, we can see that uh, God had a hand in it one way or the other. And it is true. Uh, God loves us and he provides for us. Our lives, just like Israel, are firmly in God's hands. We have been sealed by God the Holy Spirit and we have been given a, uh, a future a destiny, and we are on that path. Five, Israel is a type of the church age. Israel is a type of the church age believer. We are blessed and disciplined according to our conduct, our obedience or disobedience. And that's exactly what we see in in Israel. And that's what we're supposed to be seeing as we study Israel now. We see them. We see how they're functioning and what they're doing. We see their conduct. And we are every now and then frustrated by the fact that they're disobedient. Well, 
we might say that God is frustrated by our disobedience as well. And we need to look squarely in the mirror at what causes us every day to doubt the Lord or to be diverted into uh, our own interests and our own desires. Israel is a type of the church age believer. You can say that the believer is the antitype. And we look at Israel and we see ourselves. Point six here under 815. The Jews were promised blessings if they returned to faithfulness, something that they did not achieve. Uh, And that's where we are now with Zechariah. The Jews are promised to be blessed if they return to faithful, but they never quite achieved that. Seven, while some think this promise is only for the millennial Israel, it could have come to fruition at that time. If they had been obedient at that time, had they returned to obedience as God was bringing them back, there could have been a restoration here because the Lord says that. I am determined to do good. But, and we know that that was historical, intended for historical purposes because he says, be encouraged, I think. Eight, Israel was to trust the Lord, to bless them and not fear. Uh, we went to Psalm 27, 1 and 14 last week and Isaiah 41, 10 is fear not for I am your God. Uh, that's our one of our passages. Um, Psalm 21 says that uh, the Lord is my, uh, my life and my deliverance. The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the, the Lord is the, the Lord is my light and my deliverance. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Uh, so we have these promises, and those are promises to Israel, but uh, we can apply them to ourselves as well. And then, uh, and the Lord tells them, why fear when the Lord is on watch for them? And then ten here, God is all. God is always determined to do good for those who are who are obedient. Uh, that's a promise that he's giving to Israel at the time, but it's part of his character. God is always determined to do good for those who are obedient. We simply are unable to achieve this momentum for any length of time, as or so it seems. Therefore, uh, we just need to continue to work on our spiritual lives and grow. Uh, and then as we come to verse 16, the Lord now is going to um, provide for us four different areas in an, uh, that, is, that the remnant was supposed to do. Verse 16. These are the things that you shall do. One, speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Two, give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. And that's government. That's honesty in government faithfulness, justice in government, something that we really lack today. 17, uh, the third part here is let none of you think evil in your hearts against your neighbor. And four, do not love a false oath, for all for all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. So the Lord says the things that you should do are the things that I love, the things that you shouldn't do are the things that, that I hate. Um uh, Verse, verses 
16 and 17 here says that God promises to bless the Jews who are in the land, but God also gives them requirements. I think a better way I should have said that is he reminds them. He reminds them of the requirements that they were supposed to accomplish. Uh, First of all, the Jews here, or secondly, I guess I should say, the Jews were being selfish and dishonest, striving only for personal gain. That's what Haggai had encountered. They were simply devoted to themselves. The Jews were being selfish and dishonest, striving only for for personal gain. And, you know, that's very often what we find in ourselves. Um, You know, our sin nature causes us to pursue um, self-centered desires. And that's what the Jews were doing. Uh, they didn't have this sense that God was taking care of them, so they were taking care of themselves. Uh, when we start to take care of ourselves, that's when we're really in trouble because we simply can't accomplish that with any degree of facility. Three here, God prohibited dishonesty within the Jewish community. Uh, it's amazing as I look at this passage and then reflect on uh, Leviticus 19, 11 through 14, uh, we see all of these uh, uh, standards or requirements that have been given by God. So God prohibited dishonesty within the Jewish community. Leviticus 19, 11 through 14. Let me read this passage. This certainly is a, uh, a passage that seems to be exactly what Zechariah or the Lord is saying through Zechariah. Leviticus 19, verse 11 says, You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. Uh, We're going to see verse 12 later on when we see this false swearing, uh, perjury, verse 12, And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Verse 13. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. In other words, pay what you owe to those who have worked for you. And then verse 14. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Uh, Micah 6 8 is a, a passage that a lot of people have for their uh, personal uh, personal verse and it says in Micah 6 8 he has shown you O man what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly to love mercy and to walk hum- and to walk humbly before your God that's marvelous guidance for us, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And that's what we're saying here. The Lord is determined to do good. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy. In other words, this is covenant faithfulness, kindness, compassion. And to walk humbly with your God. 
Okay, keep your finger in Leviticus because we're going to be back there. Here is point four. God required justice in the courts of law. And in Leviticus 19.15, it says, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. In other words, those who came to court, those who were within the community. Um, And when it says, you shall do no injustice in judgment, you shall not be partial to the poor nor honor, that is the rule of law. The law applies to the poor as well as to those who are well-to-do or rich. There's no partiality here. Treat them fairly before the law. And every now and then you'll find these judges that say, no, we need to have uh, uh, political activism with regard to certain segments of society. No, the law should be uh, administered uh, fairly and equally to all. Uh, Sadly, we have a ruling class of politicians that don't think the law applies to them. They'll very often pass laws that apply to us, like Social Security, and then give themselves their own retirement. Health care for us, health care for them is much different. Um, And that's wrong. Five, Israel was not to think evil towards one another, but what were they to do? They were to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's in Leviticus 19.18. These were the things that the Lord was requiring of them. Uh, Point six here, under uh, 16 and 17, the Lord also prohibited a false oath, perjury, which we read in Leviticus 19.12. And in Deuteronomy 5.20, well, that is simply one of the Ten Commandments. The Lord prohibited a false oath, uh, perjury, Leviticus 19.12, which I read. Uh, Point seven, essentially do the things that God loves and avoid the things that God hates. You know, that seems to be pretty clear, fairly simple. Um, Tough for us to do at times. So essentially do the things that God loves and avoid the things that God hates. Uh, And remember that God doesn't hate anything, but his perfect character rejects evil. His perfect character rejects disobedience. And then point nine, in language of human human accommodation, God is described as hating sinful activity. Well, God doesn't hate sinful activity. He just rejects it. God doesn't get emotional over it. God doesn't get all wound up. God doesn't get violent. He simply administers justice where it needs to be administered. Now, the the rest of verse... Let me press on here in verse 18. This is sort of interesting. Um, the uh, The fourth... Well, I think what I'm going to do is hold the fourth message. We've finished the the third message, which is the message of restoration. This is how Israel was to be restored. In verse 18 through 23, we see the message of rejoicing. And uh, 
the the Lord waits as he gives this information to Zechariah. He waits until now verse 18 and we arrive at the message of, of rejoicing to answer the original question. And the original question was, um, is the Lord going to answer our fasting and our praying? I mean, here we are fasting and praying and uh, the Lord uh, doesn't seem to answer. Or maybe now that you've started building the temple, uh, does that mean we no longer need to do this? I think there's probably an element of, of both of those there. But in verses 18 through 23, the Lord finally, after rebuking them, after uh, guiding them and how they are supposed to live, and then uh, giving them this message of, of uh, restoration, he now is uh, going to give them the message of rejoicing. And what we're going to see immediately in verse 18 that they really weren't just fasting and praying uh, once. They were doing it four times. And we saw that they asked about one time. Zechariah mentioned two times. And now as we come to verse 18 we're going to see the other uh, the uh, two more. Uh, we have a fourth month, a fifth month, a seventh month, and a tenth month. So those who are committed to legalism and those who are committed to works, there's no end to it. I mean, you can really uh, uh, crank it up and and expect the Lord to respond to you. And that's what they did. But we're going to see that the Lord is going to change that. So we'll come back next week, um, get the uh, message of, rest of rejoicing here in Zechariah 8 and finish up Zechariah 8. But again, one of the things that I wanted to emphasize here in these verses is the character of God. Uh, the character of God towards Israel. That's our example. But he is, in fact, um, functioning and administering his righteousness and justice to, toward us in the same way. Uh, God loves us. As a matter of fact, uh, if we believe that God loves Israel, uh, I have to believe that uh, we are loved with his infinite amount of love uh, equally, if not more, because we are members of the body of Christ. We are members of his son's bodies. That's how we're seen. And we have the imputed righteousness of God so much so that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son in us. And therefore, God truly does love us and wants to bless us. And God is caring for us. Um, and this is uh, a message that I think we should try to take to the lost around us um, so that they might experience that kind of devotion and character in their lives as well. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you love us. We're thankful for your extraordinary provision for us. First of all, in uh, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose finished work on the cross has provided everything for us. We need not try to work for your uh, approbation, your blessing, uh, which we see in Israel very often. 
But, Father, we also pray that we would not go through rituals. We would not try to impress you with what we're doing. We would simply be obedient out of love for you and what you've done. We're thankful for uh, the text of Scripture. We're thankful that we can read these promises that you have given not only to Israel but uh, to us as well because the application to us is in your character. We pray, continue to pray for our nation. We pray, Father, that we would continue as a nation to be allowed to take the word of God to other nations, um, that we might be a beacon of light to them, to a lost and dying world. We pray, Father, that we would be a haven for the Jews, but also a friend to this nation that is being disappointed disciplined by you but father as friends we can be example of them of the messiah who has already come and in whom they need to believe we pray father that we would continue to be a uh, a a reservoir of truth of the word of god uh, not only to our nation but to others and that we would take that word of god uh, uh, through the creation, uh, the printing of the Word of God, and uh, disseminating it, Father. Continue to pray for our uh, the administration of our government. We pray that this uh, transition from one to another would not uh, be violent, that there would not be this uh, great resistance and rejection of, a, of authority and uh, what you have provided for us, Father, because we know that you are the one that places the... Uh, kings on their thrones and place president and leaders in positions. We pray, Father, that we would understand it and that we would return to a rule of law. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.